Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Some news today for the Seattle Seahawks as Alden Smith signed with Seattle on Thursday. And it adds to a defensive line that they've already been adding to just throughout this offseason, signing Carlos Dunlap and Kerry Hyder. Joining me here to talk about the move to Alden Smith, as well as talking about the move to offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, as Samuel Gold had a breakdown, a, a two-episode breakdown on YouTube, talking about Shane Waldron and what he might bring to the Seahawks offense. Sam, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for having me. I really appreciate it. As far as the news went with Alden Smith signing, obviously another addition to the defensive line for the Seahawks. And, it, you know, if if they would have just done this last year, Sam, like gone after the defensive line and attacked it in a way that uh, it just seemed like last year they're waiting around and waiting around for Jadevian Clowney. And I guess that was the other news today is that he signed with the Browns. But they they waited so long for a pass rusher. They, they missed out on a lot of the other stuff signings and then this year and maybe it has to do with just the the way the salary cap is but they seem to be adding a lot of different pieces on the defensive line this offseason yeah it's actually it's the one thing that i've been kind of tracking pretty closely and it seems like they're, they've been they've been doing it pretty economically and while that sounds like a negative i feel like in years past we'd be like what are they doing why aren't they paying the big bucks this year i'm actually not that opposed to it because you have Daryl Taylor coming back next uh, next year, hopefully. But Alden Smith had an 11% pressure rate with the Cowboys. And honestly, like as a rotational Leo-type role, I I can't really say any negative about it. It's, and it, it's a one-year contract. The, the details aren't out yet, but I'm going to guess it's pretty cheap and pro- probably decent amount of incentives. I mean, shoot, he might not even make the team. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's I, th- I think it's, a, it's probably a very low-risk, you know, medium-reward signing. And I, I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's a little bit surprising. Maybe it has to do with the the way the uh, the Cowboys defensively. I, I just I have a hard time thinking the Cowboys couldn't find a place for him there. So I I do kind of have that curiosity. But they weren't willing to trade him either. It, one of the things that was reported on last season was that the Seahawks tried to trade for Alton Smith in the middle of the season. They weren't willing to give him up. They end up getting Carlos Dunlap. And so now when you talk about the the economic factor going into this offseason. Carlos Dunlap scheduled to make one year $14 million on the final year of his deal after the trade. I went into this offseason and said, hey, pay the guy that money because I don't even want to risk losing him because of what he meant for the Seahawks defense last year. They do risk it. They ultimately get him back. And it's, you know, eight and a half million now for next year. You look at uh, so if he's eight and a half, you get Kerry Hyder on a reasonable deal. You, you get Alden Smith and gosh. Uh, you know, who else you could probably fit into that $14 million number. They do lose Jaron Reed, but I feel like that shifted over to the offense for bringing in Gabe Jackson for, for what they were able to do with the amount of money this off season. It's uh, it's been surprising. Yeah. And plus Benson Mayo, who they resigned right. to, to your deal. And, you know, and, and his pressure rate was maybe around 9% or 8%. And that's, it's not terrible as, and, and he's, he had a, he had a couple of big plays couple of big sacks especially in like in week 17 and a couple other a couple other games that you look at and you're it's not that bad like like last like last year i was looking at the defensive line and i was like oh god what's gonna happen and carlos dunlap was was the big upgrade and this year they have him coming back they have all the other guys he said alden smith carrie Hyder, who i like a lot as kind of that big end five tech type role 
Um, he'll shift inside the three tech on on nickel packages, and then maybe in their like their four three over fronts, which they run, um, you know, sometimes on first and second, and you know, uh, and nickel. Uh, you know, he, he he can always he can always bust down and play and play nine play a wide nine too. So it's they have a pretty versatile defensive line, and it's a pretty cheap defensive line, especially when they can focus the money elsewhere. And that's and 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 re-signing Tyler Lockett, Gabe Jackson, trading for him. Overall, this is a pretty solid offseason. It's it's not it's not sexy. It does it's not something that you look at and you're like, man, this is like the dream team coming together. But it was a solid. It was a very solid economic offseason given the constraints. You brought up Daryl Taylor, and I am kind of curious now with all of these names on the defensive line. The fact that KJ Wright is still out there as a free agent. I, I wonder if they see Daryl Taylor more as that Sam linebacker now or. Curious what your thoughts are. I th- I think that kind of that hybrid role between like a Sam linebacker and then playing Leo and rotating through and maybe in the nickel packages or, you know, if, if, if they wanted to go more NASCAR, they, they can bring him in on the edge and, you know, and, and push Carlos Dunlap and, and Alden Smith more inside. I think all of that could be in the in the cards for him. It's it's so hard to tell because when they drafted Daryl Taylor, I was like, Leo, done. We're, we're in. Like, let's do it. Right. But when you don't see him for a year, you you, you kind of lose the the flavor because because he was always seen as kind of like a more upside type of guy, anyways. But then he gets injured, and and I still don't understand his injury. I'm still confused on it, and it's it's one of those things where it's I'm at this point where it's it's hard to have confidence in him coming back when he just ha- he just didn't play at all as a rookie, and we just can't see what he's made of, and and it's and it's and it's. I man, I I hate to bring up Malik McDowell, but I man, I really hope this is not the same thing. I think because of that history, I think that's where fans. It's where your mind. It's goes, where your mind goes, right? Yeah, and it's pick. completely. It's a different situation, obviously, because it's a you know recovering from an injury and and not a, and not a head injury. But it does it does bring up that concern of not being able to see a guy for a full year and. Man, can he get on the field? And especially when they're loading up as much as they are on the defensive line, it brings along that concern too. Is if he can't go, is this what they're preparing for? My my hope is that, especially with the Alden Smith deal, is only one year. Um, the Kerry Hyder signing doesn't affect Daryl Taylor at all. Benson Mayo is he's, he, he he can kind of go both ways, especially on nickel, and then. You know, with Carlos Dunlap, his deal is only two years, so so may, may, maybe it's as simple as that that you you have Daryl Taylor behind Dunlap and Alden Smith for a season, just learning the ropes and getting you know a couple hundred snaps. You know, like pretend this is his rookie season, and then next year he get he gets six seven hundred snaps, and maybe by your maybe by his final season as a rookie, he's you know he's, he he breaks out and they can resign him and he's a dominant player. But you know, who, who really knows at this point? Right, kind of have him play that Frank Clark role of of mm. kind of coming up through the years and, and before he's full time. But it's one of the big questions I have is, is what is Daryl Taylor going to look like in, in 2021? But the other big question that I have, Sam, and maybe the, the biggest offseason question of them all is what is the Seahawks offense going to look like with Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and this is something I explored in those in the the double feature video I put on field goals, um, and on my YouTube channel, which is just uh, Samuel Gold NFL. Um, you can find it anywhere on YouTube. What I see from Shane Waldron is that he's he's a protege of Sean McVay, where he where he coached under under him for three or four seasons. 
He coached under him again back in Washington for a season all under Jake Rudin. And then he also has some coaching experience back with the Patriots. And this is, I don't know, I can make this up 10 years ago or something like that. And I'm probably wrong on that exact date. But the important thing is that I think the reason why Pete Carroll and why John Snyder and, and why this, this franchise was looking for Shane Waldron or or what they're looking for is that it is a, a heavy zone stretch run offense and which plays well into what Pete Carroll likes, but it also plays well into what Russell Wilson is good at. You can run a lot of play action, bootlegs. He can get, he can be naked out front. And, and in that scheme, just imagine Jared Goff throwing a pass and then put in Russell Wilson and you, you already get like a plus two there. So, right. so the way I, the way I view things is with Shane Waldron, it starts with the run game where you have outside zone strong. And that kind of stretches the, the, the defense from sideline to sideline. Um, he loves mid zone week, which is basically uh, it's similar to outside zone where, where you're aiming for the edge. Uh, but instead uh, you're basically your hope is to kind of create a little bit of a cutback inside, but you're still kind of blocking horizontally on the line of scrimmage. Uh, a lot of people will will say that's more like inside zone, but inside zone footwork for offensive linemen is a little bit more vertical. Uh, mid zone is definitely a little bit more horizontal. So mm-hmm. it's this offense is is purely about moving left versus right, and and that creates the flow. And then they hit him with a, a gap play called duo, which is which basically gets the running back backside after they start flowing, and and that's and that becomes kind of their big dagger type play. Like any of Cam Akers' big runs this past season, they were on duo. And, and if you watch the Seahawks game, uh, I believe at least one or two of them were duo. And basically everything I've kind of seen from him is that he's pretty good at that play. And so that's why the Rams, for instance, have, have run a lot more gap this past season. Whereas under Todd Gurley, they were like 98% zone. And, and under Cam Akers, it's, it's, it's more even like 40, 60 or something like that. For the Seahawks, I expect it to be somewhere in between those two numbers, not not as pure Todd Gurley zone, but pro- probably somewhere in the line of 70% zone, 30% gap, just because that's what this offense has done in the past. And the thing is that the one thing you have to, you have to note is that this offense has already run all these plays before. This isn't like they're learning something brand new, something special that they've never heard of. It's just it's, it's more about frequency and, and the pairing of that to the pass game. Let's uh, let's touch on this in terms of you brought up the idea of they've run these plays before. And I think one of the concerns that I see is that, okay, you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator and yet you're returning a a pretty large portion of the offense from the previous season, especially on the offensive line. So if you're uh, if you're running a different type of blocking scheme for the offensive lineman, there's that question of do you have the right guys on the offensive line. Really, the only guy that they've swapped out is Gabe Jackson, uh, rather than having Mike Upati bringing back Ethan Posick. Are they going to be able to transition seamlessly, I guess, from one offensive coordinator to the next? See, my my straight honest answer is I don't see why they can't. Why, why, why they can't do that. And and when you look at Gabe Jackson, for instance, and, and this is something that people People will stare at his at his weight. They'll stare at his size and say, "Dude's like what is he three fifteen or three twenty or three thirty? He's 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 big. He's yeah. a big guy." And they look at that and they think he's going to be more of like a gap power man guy. But look, but look at the Raiders' offense for the past couple of seasons that he's been in. The Raiders are as pure zone stretch as you possibly can get. They ran, I, and I tracked this for a video. Uh, I did a Josh Jacobs video, and this is uh, last summer where I tracked all of his runs, looked at their offense. 
they ran something like seven different versions of outside zone and like 11 different versions of inside zone. And honestly, people thought they ran too much zone. <laughs> and the funny part is that, so Gabe Jackson at his size and his weight, he's fine. Like you're, you're, you don't, you don't, he doesn't need to do anything different with the Seahawks than he did with the Raiders. So it's, to me, it's all about familiarity between him and the rest of the offensive line. Like, will he work well with, with Dwayne Brown? Will he work well with Ethan Posick or God, I really hope they draft another center in the second round or something <laughs> like that instead. And that'd be, that's what I want. Um, but you know, will he work well as a seamless pair to pass off those double teams that are so crucial in all three plays, all three of the major plays that we've already talked about? In my opinion, the answer is yes, because he's good, but it's it's one of those things where people like to fight the scheme issue and, and the offensive line and, and how they're built for the man blocking, but they're I don't think they are nearly as much as what people are making out to be, which is the important thing. Well, Chris Carson coming back for the Seahawks next year, he's gonna be fitting into the scheme as well. You have your same wide receivers, man. You know, talking about uh, blocking and DK Metcalf. I mean, that that could be exciting too. We don't we don't need to get into all that. Let's talk about passing. Let's get into it after the break. Talking to Samuel Gold. He runs Sam's Film Room on YouTube. Be sure and check that out. He also posts regularly up at FieldGoals.com. So we are talking about Shane Waldron and what he may bring to the Seahawks offense this next season. We we talked about the run game, Sam. Let's talk a little bit about the passing game. Before the break, we talked about the run game, how it's based on a zone stretch. You have the outside zone, the mid zone week and duo plays, and that kind of formed the basis uh, of their offense in terms of the run game. Those, those three plays, that's like 75% of the offense. So if you know those three plays, you understand most of the offense. And if you're at a bar, just like, Commonly just throw those phrases out and, and trust me, everybody will think you're smart. <laughs> the key point about those three plays is that they base the entire play action passing game off those three plays. And that it makes sense, right? It's smart because if an offense thinks you're running mid zone or outside zone or duo and, and they attack the, the line of scrimmage like one of those plays and, and you're actually running play action. You can create huge gains because basically the linebackers start flowing forward. You get the you get the classic hole in the middle of the field that the Sean McVeighs, the Kyle Shanahan's, um, that they all exploit. And, and, and that forms a great basis to this offense. One of the plays I broke down in my video is called the glance route. And basically what happens is it's, it's an inside dig route that can kind of convert um, to a post in that area that the good thing about the glance route is that it finds that hole. You can have DK Metcalf running that from the edge. You, you, can, you can have Tyler Lockett running it. Honestly, you can have anybody running it. And the whole point is that you're finding that hole and, and the play action passing game creates that. And, and that's why that play was so dang effective for the Rams over the past few seasons. And on top of that, uh, people all off season talked about the tight ends and what they need to do. And I agreed. And this is the tight ends were a huge, huge problem last year, but signing Gerald Everett and is it Gerald or Gerald or Gerald? Gerald I, I think it's Gerald. I'll, I'll, okay. Gerald. I'll make it all up. Uh, signing him was a huge plus, and he already knows his offense. He can teach the other tight ends, you know, b- before they even get to training camp. He can already teach them what they need to know. And in terms of his catching ability and his ability to create yards, he's he's definitely a plus in those categories. So right now, I think we already have a scheme and a system that's already 
better, in my opinion. It's already something that I'm excited to watch and, and excited to track because I've been a huge Sean McVay fan forever. As as most of y'all know, I'm I'm a Washington football fan, so I've been watching Sean McVay for most of his career. And 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 so I'm excited to see what Shane Waldron will bring and how many wrinkles he'll he'll change from that McVay offense. I guess that was the question I had even when Brian Schottenheimer came to Seattle is how much would the offense look the same and how much would it change? But from what I'm hearing, it almost sounds like if you're going to go to this system, you have to be very heavy in terms of of the style of plays that the the McVay system has on the offense to make everything else work. But I'm also curious, you know, how much of the the Pete Carroll type stuff that we've seen over the years can incorporate into this. And this is always where I get confused as kind of an outside analyst where I have exactly zero connections to anybody on, on the interior. And so I, I would love to ask him this, this same exact question is how much does Pete Carroll have over like passing game concepts and stuff like that? And and so when, when you look at a quarterback like Russell Wilson, he's made his bread and butter and and, and, and his his basically why everybody loves him is is that fade ball down the sideline. And that's and that was built off of a Brian Schottenheimer three verts concept. That was built off of a, a Daryl Bevel three verts, four verts concept. It was, it was it was all about the vert game and 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 that was something that they've had forever uh-huh. because that's what Russell Wilson is really really good at. And and the this is honestly my only concern about this offense is that there's going to be a lot more crossing routes and stuff like that that will hit the middle of the field. And and this feels like something that maybe in the past that Russell Wilson hasn't been as good at. But again, he's still Russell Wilson and and so if there's anybody that can adapt I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem, but you know, hope, hope, and hopefully I'm not, hopefully I'm not wrong there. And ho- hopefully you guys aren't mad at me next season when, <laughs> if, if he does struggle in that aspect, it, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine him struggling in that aspect, but it does make me wonder just how he can adjust because it was adjustments in the passing game. I thought in the second half of the season as to why the Seahawks didn't have as much success. And I know a lot of people point to the second half of the season and they go, Oh, well, Pete just wanted to, you know, force the run in the second half. And, uh, it's because they, yeah, they, they shifted too far to running the football rather than passing. And I, man, I didn't see that at all in the second half. It just seemed like they continued to try and push the ball down the field when defenses were taking that away. And you didn't see Russ adjust to take some of the, the more underneath type stuff. But everything that I've seen with the Rams offense is that that's what they like to take advantage of. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And, and going back to last season, which is painful for me to do, what what happened from from my vantage point was a Russell Wilson didn't adapt in terms of fighting checkdowns. He missed a lot of open receivers, and and he started he started panicking in the sense of if if the first couple guys weren't open there, there there was a decent amount of panic there that i've never seen before and this is i've been i i'm i i think i'm pretty critical but at the same time i think i'm i think i'm on the russell wilson bus like the hype train sure so but this is the first season i've ever been like man there is like something wrong with russell wilson right now and he's he's just not playing the same way but you also have to blame Brian Schottenheimer. And, and I've seen other analysts talk about that. Schottenheimer, it wasn't Schottenheimer's fault and all this other stuff. It was definitely his fault too. <laughs> like this, this isn't like a, this isn't a debate. Like you can, in my opinion, you can look at his offense and say, all right, they're going to line up in, in trips on one side and a solo receiver on the left. And I can, and I can guarantee 
that the route that's going to be run by the, the the solo guy pretty much down to the three or four routes he's going to run. So if I just give inside lever, if I just play it inside and, and, and cover a little bit and, you know, and play cover six towards it, where I can shade a, a second defender out there, you cover that entire side of the field. Then all you have to do is just pass off the crosses underneath and you're done. And the thing is that once I noticed that, and and I'm sure other people have noticed that too. So it's not just like me or anything like that. So, so let's, 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 let's ignore that part. <laughs> but once you notice that you can't unsee it. And, and that's where I saw the downfall was teams just started throwing cover six at them and they started, they started playing, they started playing a lot of cover two, cover four. And that was the downfall. And in, 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 in addition to Russell Wilson, not playing that well because he also didn't have those freebie shots that he used to take up the sideline to DK Metcalf or, or those type of passes. Those type of passes started deteriorating by the end of the season because they simply weren't there. It wasn't that Russell Wilson wasn't looking in that direction. He would look there and it just wouldn't be there. So he had to go to somebody else and then panic started sitting in and, and it just it just snowballed into a horrible situation. Yeah, and if there's one other component of this that, that I think was uh was there that we don't know for sure but i i have to sense that after so many turnovers that pete carroll was in russell wilson's ear saying you know don't turn the football over whatever you do and so by de- you know with that in mind i think russ was trying to make sure that he was throwing into wider windows rather than the tighter windows that maybe he would have been fine with throwing into and that resulted in some of the hesitancy that that maybe you saw there too yeah, I can I can agree to that, and it's he man he just he he I feel like he lost his his confidence, he lost his mojo. Yeah, and I I just I don't know how else to put it. Well, we will see if Shane Waldron can help Russell Wilson get his groove back in twenty twenty one. It's uh, I I'm I'm excited for the changes, but yeah, it's just it's probably the biggest question that I have because you know, without any play calling experience, th- there's that component too. And it's just going, I, I think I just have to be okay with that being a big unknown going into the, this next season. Yeah. But I, I, I think it'll be fun though. I think, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit excited. Like I don't like a, a 12 and four record or, or whatever the equivalent of that in a 17 game season is I'm, I think that is optimistic in terms of on the high side, but I, I, I still think they're a, they're a playoff contending team. And I, th- I think with Waldron, I, th- I think with an improved defensive line, with with a better rotation, hopefully, you know, I I I, I see upside. I, I do actually see upside, and that and that's exciting to me. Yeah, the big question is if they can address some of those positions in the draft. And obviously, with having so few picks, there's not much they can do there. Shoot, Sam, it's almost more interesting to talk about what the 49ers are going to do yeah. with their draft choice being at number three overall. And I know that you've uh, on your channel you've done some breakdowns of some of the top quarterbacks. I, I'm kind of curious of what you think of where the 49ers could go with that number three. And, and you, you crush, I saw the video where you're just crushing this idea of Mac Jones going to the 49ers, which seems to be one of the common threads that I hear in the media right now. Yeah, I know I would be shocked if it's Mac, jo- Mac Jones and it's, it, it, it kind of offends me that it is that people think it'll be Mac Jones because like, sure he fits this offense, but so does everybody else. So it's <laughs> it's it's not it's not a matter of does he fit it. It's it's a matter of upside, and you don't pay. And and man, I, someone's going to quote me on this and use this to to destroy me in fifteen years when Mac Jones <laughs> is the next Tom Brady. But I just I don't see it. I don't I I I think he's like a late first round pick at, at best right now. Um, 
The guy, I, th I think it's Justin Fields. Yeah. I, th I think it's going to be one Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars, number two, Zach Wilson to the Jets. And then I think it's Justin Fields. And I think that because Justin Fields is very smart. I think he's really good at the, blue, the bootleg play action game. He's very accurate, which means that he can get the ball and place it correctly to allow his receivers to make plays. And he did that all over the field at Ohio State. And he, and he seemed to improve as the season went on. So you can clearly see the upside. And I know people are going to argue the, oh, he went to Ohio State and that means he's going to be terrible. I mean, that's an ASU. Yeah, but argument, Alabama but... quarterbacks are historically terrible too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and na name the last BYU quarterback, you know, besides whatever, like Joe Montana or Steve Young, whoever it was. And it's so it's it's like in Clemson, Clemson has had to show oh, you're going to get crushed by all the Notre Dame Joe Montana fans. Uh, I know. I just offend <laughs> a lot of people. And this, and this, and this shows my, my lack of college football knowledge. Uh, <laughs> which I don't want anybody knowing about, uh, but yeah, but be before Deshaun Watson, who, who was the quarterback at Clemson that people are like, yes, Clemson is as the guys. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, I, that's, it's such a bad argument that it's, it's, I, you just have to ignore it this time of year. Well, I know that they, they go to Mac Jones because of the, the pro style type system that they ran there. And they, they see that as the, the obvious transition. But to me, if you're upgrading from Jimmy Garoppolo, you're looking for a guy who can be accurate and healthy. And those two things would be an upgrade over what we've seen from Garoppolo over the past few years. And if you're doing that, okay, well, Justin Fields, he he's his accuracy, I think, is up there with Jones. Jones may have uh, a little bit on him there, but uh, in terms of health, I don't, I don't even think Mac Jones does. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I, that's the only other argument I can make. And then, so why not have that added dynamic of, what fields can bring versus what Jones can bring athletically. Yeah. And, and so that's the funny part is that everyone argues Mac Jones is accurate because he had so many deep passes or whatever. He also no, had amazing receivers. Yeah, it, exactly. His wide receivers were wide open and he underthrew them so many times. And there's, this was an article that I saw on uh, the draft network uh, by Ben Solak, who's a great follow, by the way. Um, he broke down accuracy versus placement. And Mac Jones had some of the worst placement in the entire class in terms of his tracking. And it's it's just funny to me that everyone's like, oh man, he can hit deep passes because he does this. No, man, he leaves them short. Like it's 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 not the same. I just, I just, I don't, I don't get the hype, but man, I, I really hope I'm not wrong about this because I'll <laughs> this will be used against me because I'm sure I'm sure my kind of inherent disagreement has come out. About that's it. okay. There were so many people who were wrong about Patrick Mahomes. That's, you know, it's the time of year to be wrong. It's fine. It's just draft stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and worst case, I'm just some dude on the internet. So like, who really cares? <laughs> yeah. See, you're, you're not even, uh, uh, getting paid for it. Like, uh, you know, general managers and that's their job exactly. and they still screw it up all the time. Yeah. If I, if I can be as wrong as they are and still have a job, that'd be great. Well, the good thing is, you know, you're being paid by the people, Sam, uh, over at Patreon.com, and you have the YouTube channel going on. And yeah, one more time, if people want to go to to support you on Patreon, check out your YouTube. Where do they go? Yeah, though it's it's just Samuel R. Gold for the Patreon. Um, you know, Samuel Gold NFL on YouTube. Uh, Twitter is also Samuel R. Gold. It's what one of the Samuel Golds. I'm sure you'll find me. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate any support, and uh, always love coming on this show. Always enjoy having you, Sam. Looking forward to talking throughout the offseason, maybe after the draft and, and getting your ideas on, on some of the picks. Maybe we do get a new center and we can break that down as well. So always appreciate having you on, Sam. Be sure and follow along at FieldGoals, FieldGoals.com. Check out any work that is posted there. Join in on the discussion of the Alden Smith news from Thursday. 
And I will be back here this weekend talking with Clinton Bonner. We'll be doing our live episode on Locker Room. So check that out. Lockerroom.app. Follow me at Seahawkra. And until then, go Hawks.